Welcome to Under the Hood, a podcast by Le Studio, where we chat about the ins and outs of entrepreneurship with real-life innovators. Hi everyone, I'm Sophie Duré. Today we chat with a good friend and an amazing human, Brigitte Bloti. Karine and I met Bridget a couple of years ago and we became fast friends. There was very quickly a lot of love and affection between all of us. It seems crazy to say that about people you just met, but trust me, I'm not usually the fluffy type. With Bridget, we connected right away on a very authentic level. I think Karine and I saw a lot of ourselves in her, in her hopes and ideas and values as well. Looking back, I also believe it was because Bridget is such a genuine human and she's so clear about who she is, what she wants to build, and she's indefinitely curious about the world. The amazing thing is, I think we learn more from Bridget than she likely did from us. Anyway, you'll see the episode is full of great insights from Bridget, and hopefully you'll be able to feel and hear her incredible authenticity from our conversation. A few words on our background for context. She's the co-founder and CEO of Fomeno, a tech startup dedicated to making thrifting simple. Bridget started Fomeno in her college dorm room with a few friends during the pandemic while balancing life as a student and Division I athlete. Fomeno went on to beat out teams from across the country, including Harvard, Duke, and MIT, to represent the United States in the Global Hold Price Accelerator, the world's largest student-led startup competition. In 2021, Bridget and the team won the Hold Price and have since gone on to raise outside capital and launch the Fomino app on iOS. Well, welcome on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Sophie. I feel like this is long overdue. We should have done that way earlier in our podcast career, but here we are. Here we are. Oh, I'm just, I'm so excited to be here with you. So thank you for having me. No, of course. So before we get into everything about you, because I have so many questions to ask you, we always start the podcast with um, the same question. And it's if you can tell me something that you're proud of that has nothing to do with work. I don't know if it's necessarily proud. Maybe it's more gratitude, but um, I'm very grateful or very proud of my relationships. I uh, I moved back home last year to be closer to my family. And I just I just can't be more grateful for my parents and my grandparents and my siblings. And um, yeah, I just, I feel like I have so many wonderful relationships. So I'm just, I'm very grateful for those. No, I like this. And it's so important to have your support system. Uh, I mean, whatever you're doing, but I feel like specifically being an entrepreneur and I'm sure we'll get into this at some point in the conversation, but that would make a lot of sense that you decided to make that move. Yes. The support system. Yes. As you know, it is, it's very key. Yeah. Extremely key. Okay, so before we get into the nitty-gritty of all of it, it's interesting. You and I, we met in a castle like an hour away from London, but I remember exactly when we met and I remember that it was really, really easy to connect with you, which was fantastic. But I want to kind of first start our chat with you telling me how you got into entrepreneurship because that's kind of what you know brought us together at first was the whole kind of startup thing. So tell me about like when the idea of building a company came to you or like what was the impetus for you to start? Absolutely. That's a great question. So actually kind of the reason why Sophie we met is a big part of why I decided to pursue entrepreneurship or felt so called to go down that path. I started off at the University of South Dakota, very passionate about science. I thought that 
healthcare and medicine was more what I was passionate about doing. But as kind of I went through my freshman year of college, I just for extra credit ended up doing this whole prize challenge with a couple of my teammates. I was a track athlete at the University of South Dakota. So some of my teammates were like, oh, we're, we were all in a few of the same classes and they wanted to get extra credit. So we said, okay, we're going to put together this team for the whole prize. And essentially what the whole prize is, it's a competition for young students. It takes place in 121 countries, I think over 2000 college campuses. And the whole goal of it is for students to create businesses that positively impact the planet in some capacity. And so we threw together a team um, just last minute. The business concept was so poor. None of us had ever done anything business related, let alone impact in business related, but it was the first time our university had ever hosted the competition. So we ended up like getting second or something and qualifying for one of the regional rounds. And it was actually um, not until I found myself in San Francisco sitting in this seat after we had just pitched our business and gotten absolutely annihilated because we were so below par. But I was sitting there listening to some of the entrepreneurs in the room who had built these phenomenal businesses that were all rooted in impact that I still remember exactly where I was when I was listening to one of the pitches. And I just remember thinking, oh my goodness, like I had I had no idea that business could be impactful. And I had no idea it could just ultimately do so much good And I just felt this huge sense of purpose. And I had always been kind of creative in the business realm. I was absolutely that kid who was doing lemonade stands on the corner of the street when I was seven and eight with my siblings. I had started an online thrift shop my freshman year of college with my friends just to like clean out our clothes and to make some extra cash on the side. So there was definitely this like entrepreneurial spirit in me. And I guess it it didn't really click that that was maybe what I should do for a career or just like pursue just a little bit more until I was sitting and just being totally and utterly inspired by the businesses that people my own age were building. So that's kind of how I jumped in. And it wasn't until the next year, or actually I think it was a year and a half after that when I met you, Sophie, my team and I, we came back, we formed a new team, we formed a new business and we ended up going back to Holt Price. And that's when we kind of started really getting involved in the organization and kind of moving up in the Yeah, I can definitely see you being one of the kids, you know, that are selling (laughs) lemonades on the side of the road. I don't know what, but this is very fitting. Um, (laughs) No, and it's interesting that you talk about the whole price. Obviously, it's a big part of the journey for you as well. But I would love to know about what you learned because you were on both sides of things. You were a contestant and you won the, the whole thing with your project. And then you came back as a mentor or like a coach. I don't know what's the, the term, but basically came back the next year, kind of like helping the other teams uh, getting prepared for the same competition. So wh- what did you learn from the experience on both sides? So just for even context, yeah. So the first year that I ever did whole prize, we absolutely did not move up very far in the ranks. Second year was when we kind of went all the way and ended up being <laughs> a, a winner of the the global finals, but exactly. I think it was actually five months after that, Sophie, that we ended up winning because this was all during the heart of the pandemic that um, I, you and I met in, in London. And uh, I was brought back as a quote unquote expert, which was funny because merely yeah, five months ago, I was in the heart of being a student and a competitor. So I would say that the biggest thing that I, I kind of Um, got from those experiences is just that I'm always a student. It doesn't even really matter like what role I'm playing, whether I am in a position of 
you know, giving to students or whether I am the one receiving, but I'm always learning. I'm always going to be a student. And it was funny because, um, yeah, I, I was still growing our business. At that point, we had won the whole prize, but we we had won it on wireframes and a mere business model and some just like hustling and uh, in order to gain traction. But I mean, we didn't even have our product. We're in the tech space. So I was just, you know, grinding with these competitors, trying to build my business at the same time. And it was kind of fun because I felt like we were running alongside each other, but I had gotten through the, the competitiveness of the whole prize and how difficult that journey can be. So yeah, I guess the biggest thing I just took away is I, I'm always going to be learning and it doesn't even really matter what position of leadership or power or whatever you might call it. But I'm always a student and I, I really, I really love that. Yeah, I think that's definitely, I mean, even later in the journey, we meet so many entrepreneurs, as you know, with Karin, and every time we are impressed by the capacity that they have to just, you know, we, we say resilience, but learn and kind of learn from mistakes, learn from successes, learn from people. I think that's one of the great qualities that entrepreneurs have for sure. But speaking of your company, I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about Fomeno, and then we can maybe get into some of the questions that I have for you on that side. Oh, for sure. Yes. I can just give a little spiel about Fomeno. But uh, essentially, we are um, a tech startup. We're in the secondhand clothing space. Our motto is thrifting made simple. So essentially how the concept of the app works is um, you can type in a clothing item that you're looking for. So for example, let's say you want a, a denim vintage Levi jacket or something. You could type that into our app, into Fomeno. We have one function is the search bar and we'll find it for you. But our technology will scour online thrift shops in order to connect you to the product. The second feature that we offer is it's kind of like a Pinterest experience. Some of our users have coined us as like the secondhand Pinterest. And essentially how it works is you can scroll through images of what fashion influencers are wearing. And our AI will also scan them and connect you to their outfits on different various online thrift shops. So we're kind of playing into that influencer economy, especially for millennial and Gen Zs. It's such a powerful marketing tool. Everybody, like their first stop is like, what are my favorite influencers are wearing? And then they purchase links from them. And we're kind of just tapping into that with more of a sustainable mindset saying, okay, you don't have to buy from fast fashion companies. Like this exact product you're looking for that your favorite influencer wore in her most recent pick is actually on like ThreadUp or it's on this, this small brick and mortar thrift shop that's going online in, you know, little town of South Dakota. So like, we're just kind of playing that matchmaker almost in order to find people, the products that they're looking for, but all the products are secondhand. No, I like that you mentioned the sustainability side of things as well, because that's definitely one of the questions. Was sustainability always at the core of what you wanted to build? It was. Actually, after that first year of Holt Prize, I switched from being medical biology and I switched into sustainability and innovation and entrepreneurship. So I completely changed my educational path at that time. And because of that switch, I found myself studying abroad in the summer. I was injured for track, so my coaches let me go. And uh, it ended up being this pretty life-changing experience because the whole concept of Fomeno came to be. We were living in the mountains um, in this rural community. And essentially, the bus couldn't make it up the hill. It was so strenuous. We were in this area in Costa Rica. The bus couldn't get up the hill. So we had to backpack into this community where we were staying with host families. And because of that, the students that I was with were re-wearing clothes quite often. Um, we'd wash them. But, you know, you, you had about six or seven shirts that you'd wear once a week. 
And this girl on the trip had this forget-me-not flower t-shirt that I absolutely loved. It was like just a delicate white t-shirt with these purple flowers. And I loved it. And I told her every week that I saw her wearing it, oh my gosh, I love your shirt. I love your shirt. And eventually she's like, Bridget, you need to just you need to buy this shirt when you get back to the US because you, you're you always telling me how much you love it. And But she said, I challenge you because we had learned about the negative impacts of the fashion industry. She was like, you should really try and secondhand purchase this shirt. Like I'm, I'm challenging you to do this. And I said, challenge accepted. So I got back to the US and I was scouring thrift shops in my hometown for this this t-shirt. I knew I wouldn't find it probably in person. Um, but then I started jumping on all these online thrift shops. And probably after an hour or two, I was finding this t-shirt on 40 or 50 different websites, um, secondhand, varying qualities, varying prices, varying shipping rates. Um, and I kind of thought to myself, I was like, when the information is becoming more readily available on how destructive fast fashion really is, the t-shirt was kind of produced by um, a mid-tier fast fashion company, I would say. So I didn't want to buy it brand new. But when I can already use the resources that exist and partake in the circular economy while also like diving into my own personal style, I think it's just the best of both worlds. And you're kind of meeting the customer with where they're at Um by not saying you don't have to change your fashion style. You actually, you don't have to change your price point. You don't have to change really anything except for um, the way in which you go about it. And we we're trying to kind of lean into that little donut hole and say, we're Fomano, we're here to make thrifting simple. Yeah, no, I, I love this. I love the origin story. And and now I'm realizing something. I mean, we've known each other for years and I've talked to you so many times. Is Fomano related to Forget Me Not? Yes. So we actually called ourselves Forget Me Not for probably yeah the first year of, of being in business. Um, but it was trademarked up the wazoo. And even when you, you submit an app to the app store, the name was too long. So we just took the first two letters and Forget Me and Not, put them together. And that's how we got Fomeno. Love it. It's interesting. I, I listened to a podcast that you did, uh, I think, last year. Because I was doing my research on you, even though, you know, I feel like I, I know you well, but still. Um, and I uh, come upon a podcast where you were talking about your goals for 2023. And my question is, I want to know if you were able to kind of reach these goals. I think I have my answer. But uh, so you, in the podcast, you mentioned that you were working on a product launch. You were building your team. And you were hoping, you know, the team would be built up by 2023. You were hoping that you would have enough inventory that, you know, the app would be kind of like running smoothly. Um, and then you were hoping that people would know about Fomeno. So where where do you stand on all of this? Did you <laughs> did you reach all of these goals? Oh, um, I would say yes, we have, uh, which is really fun that you're even repeating those back to me because, yeah, it's we've. It's really, it's really key for us, especially as an early startup, um, to appreciate the journey. Honestly, daily, I would say you kind of it, it becomes overwhelming when you think of okay, what are our goals for this year, not or next year. You know, we're always planning almost like a couple years in advance when it comes to the big vision. Um, but when it's when you relay that information back to me, it, it's very encouraging because it's like okay, we, we are moving in the right direction, which is which is important. But um, yeah, I would say. Uh, we we ended up launching the Fomeno app. We say it's in beta just because we're very seriously working on the technical kinks and things of that sort. Like any bugs, we just we've really been diving deep into the technical side of things in order to improve the product. So that's why we kind of say, okay, we launched it in beta at the end of November. 
And since then, we've been just working out the products. But about, I'd say mid-December, we posted one TikTok. And I was honestly, the whole premise of the TikTok, I just said, hey, my friends and I in college started building this app to make thrifting simple. Here's how it works. And it ended up going viral. And I think we got about 7,000 or 8,000 downloads just from that one video, which we could not handle the capacity of at the time. I mean, we didn't realize that we had a, a cap on how many emails we could send out for verification codes. So at one point, we were realizing that we had all these ghost users. They couldn't actually get into the app. They weren't getting you know, the verification to enter Fomento. There was just so many problems we were being confronted with. Our servers were crashing. We had too many people logging on at one time, which they're great problems to have in hindsight, but it was very stressful. Um, but it's kind of funny looking back because a lot of it just came from one simple video talking about the product. And more so than anything, I think it was just very validating that we are onto something with what we're building because we put zero ad spend behind that video. I did nothing but just talk about what it was we were building and it got that much traction. And it was also kind of fun to see in terms of even our marketing strategy in the future, how much being a 23-year-old and saying, my friends and I are developing this app. This is what it's doing. People love to get behind people who are doing things that they're similarly passionate about or just think are cool. And for the longest time, especially being a female and being so young in the tech space and the business space, I used to think I had to portray myself as being like much older than I am, not necessarily in maturity, but just, I don't know. I was just acting as though I was maybe like much older and I wasn't necessarily relating to people who are my own age, especially in the marketing sector. And I think that was where I was going wrong because I am part of my own target market. And I think I can really relate with our customers in trying to find a solution for fast fashion and making thrifting much more of a positive experience. And kind of that was, that was also a very eye-opening experience for us in terms of just like the future and how we're going to go about our brand message and just communicating with customers. So it was it was a two-turn deal. So yes, we did get um, users and, and we've grown since then too, all while developing the app. Um, so those users were maybe a little bit earlier than we would have liked them to be, but it's still really a great problem to have, like I said, and also um, just even for the future and planning for what's to come is a very eye-opening experience for how we can um, approach our, our future customers. And I love that you talked about TikTok because that's something that I'm so interested in for the kind of uh, entrepreneurship field. I feel like it's underutilized still by companies and, and startups uh, or not used to the full extent of what that you know app could be if you have good intentions with it. So I, I love what you're saying about the fact that you're using that app just like at first to talk about what you guys are doing. And it was very just kind of genuine, like, hey, this is what we're up to. And then it kind of turned into like a little bit of a marketing tool. And then um, certainly now I'm sure you get it as like a, even a marketing channel, maybe. I mean, I guess you, you mentioned it. You said it was kind of like it just happened. But is is TikTok your first or like one of your first channels of, of distribution or at least um for your audience, is this where they found you most or or is it more Instagram or like how does it work for you? Because you said like your audience is very young. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to know where they come from. Yes, that's a super great question. So and it's something we're continuing to figure out. One of the things that happened post that TikTok going viral was that we really we paused pretty much all marketing efforts because 
We had so many users on the app. Anymore was just complete. It was just utter chaos. Um, it was really hard to mitigate problems. It was kind of funny. Within the first 24 hours that it started picking up speed, our team, we got together. We, we created, you know, a contact line for when you need help, when you're a ghost user. We had people communicating with our thrift shop partners who were having to fulfill all these orders. I was working with our developers. They were on vacation too. So it was just all hands on deck. And we were kind of just, you know, playing on the excitement of all of that. But since that happened, we essentially just stopped all marketing because we had some serious problems we needed to fix. And we already had so many users that um, part of the, the concept of the beta was to get as much data as we possibly could. And we just got a huge influx of data and we kind of just had to pivot a little bit in terms of um, what our next step goals were. So it's been really interesting since that happened. We've just more so been improving the product and then also strategizing for what's to come with our marketing once we have a product that we're willing to, okay, step two, we're going to push this version out and see what happens. So I would say our biggest channel is Instagram. Um, Millennial and Gen Z, primarily females, are very heavily on Instagram. And that's where a lot of the conversions come from um, in terms of downloads more so than TikTok. So we're really playing into that. A lot of our influencers are more heavily on Instagram as well than TikTok. And the same influencers that are on the app that users are thrifting from are also part of our marketing strategy in forms of, hey, thrift my outfits on this Fomano app. So they're also pushing us out. So we're kind of wanting to be where they are and where their target market is because all of our target market is essentially the same. So um, Instagram, I would say, is more so a primary source than TikTok. TikTok is a tough um, algorithm to crack because it's highly unpredictable. You can have really great content and push it out and it gets 200 views. You can have minimally decent content and for some reason the algorithm picks it up and pushes it out, pushes it out to 200,000 people. I mean, it's, it's really hard to track conversions on TikTok because it's so unpredictable and it requires a lot of constant pushing out of content and very fresh content. So we're going to definitely lean into it and continue to experiment with it, especially because it has proven to be an effective form in the past, but it, it is definitely a different beast than the other main social channels that, um, companies have really put an effort into driving conversions with. That makes a lot of sense. And then on the inventory side, you mentioned AI, which I'm very interested in as well. Is that like, uh, it's very current. Like we were seeing a lot of this as well with Karin these days. But what was the impetus for you to kind of look into AI? Was it just like the ease of use and like making your life easier? Or was it just because, you know, it's like now it's the tool that everybody's using? Like, and, and how do you use it in-house? I mean, I guess you mentioned it a little bit, but. If you can explain a little bit more around around this, that would be wonderful. Yes, absolutely. So we started initially without AI when we were building and it became extremely clear right away in terms of scalability. We will not scale if we are not using AI for the explore page. And that explore page is kind of like that Pinterest-like experience where you're, you're able to see what influencers are wearing and then connect their outfits on online thrift shops. Because we were manually doing that. And oh my gosh, was it timing intensive? The thing too that's interesting about secondhand and just honestly, I think it's the circular economy in general is you have to be extremely creative and you need to lean on technology in order to find solutions. Like there's a reason why circularity hasn't been like the first decision in the past. And oftentimes it's just because like the amount of work and effort that has to go into making seamless processes is so time consuming. So what we were doing essentially is we were manually connecting pieces. So let's say an influencer is wearing denim jeans and a white t-shirt. 
we were manually finding white t-shirts from all of our thrift shops and connecting them to that picture. Then we would go about, about that and do jeans. Well, we're dealing with thousands and thousands. And as we scale, probably millions of items of inventory. It is absolutely impractical. And it's just not a sound business model. So when we found that incorporating AI, specifically like a clothing-based AI into our product would just help with that scalability model, it was night and day. But it has taken about over, I would say, a year to really figure out how to not only train the AI with our with our data set and with our products, but also to, I don't know, just like just make the the concepts link up well. That's been a huge, a huge process. And I'm sure many AI companies or AI-based companies in general have really been working on that in the past year and will continue to in the coming years. We launched an update about a week or so ago where, I mean, our AI has improved from probably like a 35% accuracy to now like a 75 to 80% accuracy. But that took about six months of building and refining and testing in order to get that out to the public. So it's such a process. And I think it's only going to continue to be as the AI world, that term is so booming, right? Everybody is trying to look into it and improve upon it and incorporate it. So it definitely is a huge part of our business model and the product that we offer. And mostly just because it really does simplify our lives and what we're able to do. No, that's fascinating. And yeah, I can't wait to see the improvement with, you know, the technology itself and how people are going to use it. And, and even generally speaking, you know, everything that comes with regulating it and making it so that it really becomes like a mainstream kind of technology tool. And that, as you said, like you can use it with good intention and make things easier for everyone. So that's really exciting. Before I get into maybe more personal questions, if that's okay, I, I just want to make, mention the fact that you guys are soon to be raising or in the fundraising stage. And I want to make sure that I ask you that before we get into more personal questions. So can you tell me more about this new fundraising round that you're launching? Yes. Essentially, we are at a point where we've solidified our business model and what we're building. And now we just, we need more capital to go faster is essentially is the premise of it. So yes, yeah, so we're raising roughly 1.5 to two. And um, we are beginning that um, just, we say July one is our day one of fundraising. So if anybody wants to connect further on that, I'd be happy to tell you more about it. But uh, yes, yeah, that's, that's, that's what's going on with us with fundraising. And that's really exciting. I mean, fundraising is, you know, something we talk a lot about and it's it's a hassle, but when you have a good product like yours and the right team to do it, usually it's uh, something that you have to go through and then kind of build from there. Um, but that's really exciting. You and I, we connected on many different topics over your time, uh, but I, I do remember some of our conversations around leadership and what it is to be like a CEO and specifically what it is to be a woman in business and women in entrepreneurship and women CEO. You mentioned earlier that at the, the very beginning, you were even trying to act maybe older because you felt like this was what people were expecting of you in, in the business world. Whereas, you know, you kind of realize that, no, you can be yourself, you can be your younger self and still be very efficient in what you're doing. But yeah, I would love to talk to you and, and understand how maybe you've learned over time uh, what leadership means to you when we had these conversations like two, three years ago, like has anything changed now that you're like really in the midst of it, like building a company, having a team, being a women CEO, like how does that look like for you? Oh, that's such a great question, Sophie. I would say that 
I was reflecting on this the other day. I've just had some really great examples of leaders in my life. And I think a big part of that is through athletics. The whole concept of a sports team, especially when we're talking about running, is um, nobody's necessarily there simply because the sport is like super fun, right? Like right off the bat, running is not the most attractive sport. People are there for varying reasons, whether it's like natural ability or, you know, it's it's a good health sport. There's a, a million different reasons why people end up there, but it's generally not first and foremost because it's the most fun thing to be doing. So because of that, there's some crazy, and a lot of runners or people who are in endurance sports notice this, there's some sort of meshing of the team that is so required if you're going to stay with it for the long run. And I started running when I was in sixth grade and I've continued all through college. So I've had, I've done it for about a decade and I've learned so much from the sport and the leaders. And a big part of obviously the leadership is the coach and the supporting staff and things of that sort. And they kind of set the overarching theme. Like these are our goals for the season. They lay out the workouts. It's very clear what the goals are, but the true, true leaders on the team are the athletes who are running beside you. And they show their leadership, not by expressing any sort of power or domination or control or anything like that. It's like they lead by example through being your teammate. I mean, some of the best leaders I've ever, I've ever met were just my teammates who were willing to be on a gravel road at six in the morning because by the time it hits seven or eight, it's already almost a hundred degrees. You know, we're six miles out. We got six miles left to go to get back home and we're hurting and they're just there with you and they're bringing the energy up and they're believing in you. And, um, you know, they're distracting you with fruitful conversation, you know, doing anything that they can in order to get you home. And, um, and also better you in the process. It's just like, it's this beautiful thing. And I, I've just realized like through the decade of running, not just through, you know, middle school, then high school, then collegiately, it's like to have a good team, you need good teammates to run with you. And I've experienced wonderful women teammates throughout the years who I don't even like more so I think than um, them coming off as leaders on the team. They just come off as teammates and they're willing to go through it with me no matter what it is. And I I just, I think that has just been such a beautiful experience for me. My teammates on with Fomeno started off as teammates. So Ashlyn and I, she's one of my co-founders. Um, she was my cross-country teammate and we became friends when we were injured. We had to run like six miles around the soccer field one day. And we just, you know, we were both hurting physically. Um, we were also really out of shape because we had been going through injuries and we became friends. And I don't know, it was just like, there's something so powerful about the communal aspect of just of the, the sports realm. And then also having that translate into her being such a good leader because she's such a good teammate first. And so, yeah, I, I think a lot of the lessons that I've learned, I, um, I learned through athletics, particularly the sport of running. And it's been beautiful to kind of see that the women I'm particularly attracted to in their leadership styles are good teammates first. Like even when I met you, Sophie, I was just like, wow, I just, I feel like she has my back. And I feel like, you know, she really wants to help me and she really wants to see me succeed. And it's not just me, like it's the other women who are here too, trying to build businesses. And, um, I don't know. That's, I think my, my, my biggest lesson that I've learned in, in leadership, um, especially within the female sector is just 
have each other's backs and be each other's teammates because at the end of the day, that's how you get things done. And um, I, I don't like the mentality of like one person getting to the finish line. It's like, no, if we want a successful company, we're all getting to the finish line. Or if we want to make an impact in the fashion industry, I don't care what business you're running to. If you're going for that goal, I'm with you and I, I, I have your back and I'm on your team. And um, I just I, I just love the whole teammate aspect of of leadership and um, how much it has impacted my life in various sectors. I love that you use this uh, analogy because I think it's so very fitting and it's interesting. We've had a couple of other guests on the podcast that were prior to building a company, they were pro athletes or, or semi-pro athletes or in some type of like kind of high level sports situations. And I think people tend to forget that, you know, entrepreneurship and being an entrepreneur, being a founder is exactly what you mentioned is kind of like as if you were an athlete at a very high level, you have kind of a, a go-to point, a destination and you're training for this and you can't do it by yourself, as you said, like it's all about the right team and the right coaches and the right resources that you have for yourself. And I think where the sports and relates as well for entrepreneurs is the mental state and the mental strengths that you need to have. It's as much important to have the body for it that you have also the mind for it. And I think that's definitely something that I see in you. I think not only in terms of values and, and the goals that you have, but also just the way that you do things. I think you're very strong, but I think that it's very important for entrepreneurs to, to be in that mental space. And it's interesting that you mentioned your um, sports career, because I think that's also where you can learn that type of uh, mindset as well yes yes absolutely I was I have listened to a couple like the hockey player not to reference your other your other podcast but I was super inspired by his story too and his tenacity that was probably a lot accredited to his his previous athletic career so yeah it definitely I've I've learned a lot of lessons I think through the sport that I can translate over into entrepreneurship <laughs> And, uh, you know, one thing that I'm also very interested in and Le Studio, we're kind of, we build Le Studio as well to bring resources for entrepreneurs in different regions of the world and different even regions of or areas of, of the United States where, you know, we're kind of bringing Silicon Valley methodologies to other hubs. And I'm fascinated by all the centers of entrepreneurships that are uh, just emerging from everywhere and specifically in the U.S. And in your case, you mentioned at the very beginning that you moved back to South Dakota to be also, you know, closer to your family, your friends, your kind of personal ecosystem. But you're also building a company in South Dakota. And I think, I mean, I don't know anything about the state and I, I'm willing to learn, but I'm wondering if what, what has the experience been not being in, you know, not choosing to be in like a big city where you have access to all these resources so easily when you're building a company? I would say at first I was fearful when we were going through the whole prize and thinking about, you know, establishing our business. I wasn't sure what it would be like to do it in South Dakota, just because when you hear the talk exactly as you're saying, we're talking about East Coast, West Coast, you know, there are certain entrepreneurship hubs that everyone flocks to. However, we were also building in the midst of COVID. And I think it was such a pivotal time to be building a company. There were a couple things that I was very passionate about. And I think the first one was, I want to build with 
these women. And one of them is originally from Canada. Peyton's from Canada. Um, another is from the other side of South Dakota, five hours away from where I was born. I knew that I might be getting engaged sometime soon. And my fiance was, you know, across the country. And I, it's just, it was this perspective. We're so young and I want us to make this thing happen. And I want it to happen with this team. So flexibility of where we live needs to be at the forefront. We need to be a remote startup. And because we built in the midst of the pandemic, we had no other option to begin with. We had to build remotely. And because we were all stuck in different dorm rooms, you know, the basis of our company started off remote, but it did start off in South Dakota, exactly as you were saying. And I think the thing too, that I love about this state and actually just the Midwest in general is it's not as much of a hub for entrepreneurs, but there are entrepreneurs here. And the thing about the Midwest nice, as they say, is that I have not hardly had to reach out to any big entrepreneurs in our area. They have reached out to me because they've wanted to support me. Whereas in Silicon Valley and things like that, I don't know if there's just so much going on. I don't think it's as maybe easy for small entrepreneurs like myself to just be flocked with help and support. I felt that from the beginning and I knew that, okay, if I even have just, you know, three or four really solid mentors who have built phenomenal companies who are willing to invest and pour into me, I'm set. Like that's what I need. And I know that they have friends in, you know, other surrounding states who are also passionate about building entrepreneurship in the Midwest. And, um, I don't know. I just, I feel like we kind of stick out like sore thumbs over here and people just like are so willing to help and support that. And so honestly, no, I, I have not had any, any issues, even in terms of raising capital, our investors that invested in us came to us first and said, Hey, like, what do you guys need? What resources do you need? When do you want to pitch to us? Like, I don't know. It just, it, it's a very communal aspect of entrepreneurship. And I'm sure it is also on the coast, but it's maybe just a little bit different. So no, any of the any of the concerns that we had previously had, I found solutions to by just supportive people in the community. That's what I love. And that's why I'm so interested in this locations and, and places where entrepreneurship is just kind of, uh, it's very organic. It just kind of happens. And that's kind of going back to the roots of what entrepreneurship is about and as you said, like being resourceful with what you have there and you find collaboration very easily and, and people are willing to help. And I think for sure it might be a Midwest thing and more in the culture as well, but definitely because that's, you know, you don't really have a choice as well. And, and that's what makes it so, so beautiful. And I do agree with you. I think in, in Silicon Valley, I mean, things have been so prominent here. Like, you know, you have access to all these resources and there's so much noise as well with everything that's happening that I do agree with you. I think there's beauty in also kind of creating your own thing in a place where maybe that would have been the first thought of any other entrepreneurs, but then you're standing out and that's where you are. And then you're also building an ecosystem around you. And that's, I think that's very powerful. So yeah, I'm excited to see how that's going to look like in the future, but that definitely uh, super, super interesting. Before I get to our closing section, uh, because I want to make sure that uh, we're not wasting too much of your time, you're, you have a lot of things to do with Pomino, um, but you mentioned your fiancé, and I just wanted to say congratulations on the upcoming wedding. Thank you, Sophie. <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> very excited yeah um but but speaking of the wedding um how do you and maybe more on like on, on a personal side but how do you manage building Fomeno, managing Fomeno, and and your personal life and specifically when you have kind of big uh, milestones coming up mm -hmm. oh that's a great question 
I think a lot of it comes down to the mission and the vision in everything that you do. Uh, so like, for example, this wedding that I'm planning, I am quite the perfectionist, I will say. And I've kind of had to realize, you know, at the end of the day, I have found the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. And that is the goal. That is the vision. That's the mission. I want to be with him forever. And this wedding is going to help us get to that next chapter um, and really solidify that. And whether it's the flowers or the cake or all this, you know, kind of noise, as you had previously said. I kind of just have to let it go. And I have to say, you know what? I'm not going to get too involved or too invested in this being perfect. It's going to be wonderful and beautiful the way it is because there's so much love present here, but everything else is kind of noise. And I've also noticed, you know, a lot of like decision fatigue comes into my day to day. And so it's kind of just like, okay, the decision is made and it is done. Um, but as long as it aligns with the vision and the mission of what I'm trying to do, it, it's all going to be great. The, the flowers don't matter in terms of the vision. Because they're just they're just noise. Um, they're beautiful, but it's just noise. And so I think that perspective's been really helpful. And even same with Bomeno. Now that we're fundraising too, it's kind of a crazy time to be doing it, but we're doing it anyway. And it's just it's just being rooted in like, okay, what are my objectives for the day? I'm not gonna start going down this rabbit hole of you know TikTok, my own personal social media, or anything like this. Um, anything that's noise, I guess, or even like the little tasks in Fomento that are not a priority today. They can be done in three months, and no one will know. It will not impact whether or not the ship keeps moving forward. They're waiting for three months. Like they're gonna they're gonna be pushed off to the side until. The priority is to get them done. So I've noticed that a big part of my like emotional and um, my energy every day is going to prioritization. Like, is this a priority today? Okay, no. Is it a priority tomorrow? Okay, no. Then when is it a priority? And I just, I just have to map that out. So yeah, in terms of juggling things, I think, I think prioritization and just not being so distracted by things that don't align with the core mission of what I'm trying to do. Um, I just have to be okay with letting them go. So uh, easier said than done, for sure. <laughs> I'm learning in real time. But um, and you know, and then you just give yourself grace, because we're not we're not perfect. And um, every day is a new day. And every hour is actually a new hour, you know, so it, it's, it's just a beautiful thing to be really graceful with yourself and just, you know, do the best you can while trying to keep your priorities in check. At least that's, that's what I'm trying to do. So I love this. And I think that's good advice, just generally speaking for also other people kind of looking to juggle, you know, personal, professional life, whatever that might be, don't have to be an entrepreneur, but I think just taking it step by step, having priorities and kind of always having a goal in mind as a way to direct you. I think that makes it, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So I'll, I'll get to our closing section and kind of closing question. Uh, so we always start with the same question and always end with the same question kind of thing. So you know how Karin and I were like, we're passionate about kindness and how kindness can, can be extremely transformative in, in business and in life in general. So we, we love to talk about um, kindness. So our question is around um, what is an act of kindness that maybe you receive or you were able to offer recently that you would like to talk about? Okay, so I had this meeting the other day. Um, it was a big partnership meeting. My co-founder Peyton and I had been prepping for it probably for two weeks. And anyway, it, it was just, it was very stressful, uh, but also very exciting. And I got off the call and I saw that my brother, he had tried to call and um he wanted to check in and see how it went. So I called him back and I said like, Hey, here's how it went. It went, it went very well, better than we were anticipating. And he just started erupting on the phone with like 
like joy for me. And then he sent me a Venmo for $5 for coffee for a celebratory drink, you know, like it's just, it's just these little gestures of, I think it's just like a, a form of kindness that I've really felt or love, what, whatever you would call it, is just the celebration of other successes. And I, I'm back to the relationships from the beginning. I'm just so grateful that I have relationships in my life in work, outside of work, within my family, you know, just friends that do celebrate when I, I want to celebrate, you know, or celebrate me when I when I feel like something's going well. And in turn, the same goes for him. Like he's a junior uh, at Notre Dame and, you know, he just was getting smacked this fall with school and just very stressed. And, you know, it, school's challenging. And I remember I, I, I called him one day and he was just like, Bridget, I'm, I'm down bad. Like I'm struggling. This is tough. And, you know, I, I was with him, though, too, in the trenches and just being like, you know what, just get through tomorrow, get through tomorrow. You're doing great. At the end of the day, you just do the best you can. And you wake up in the morning and you do the best you can. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you're just doing the best you can, I, I'd say that's doing pretty darn good. So, so yeah, I think it's a mutual like celebration of successes and then also being there for people when, you know, they're kind of in the trenches um, kind of circling also back to the sports analogies. But um, yeah, I think that's probably just one of the really great forms of kindness that I've received recently is just those simple gestures. It's nothing extraordinary. It's just like you care about the things that I care about. And um, it really means so much. I love this. The sibling unconditional support is definitely one of my big fuel as well. Um, mm -hmm. Like you, I have a lot of siblings, some siblings, <laughs> a good amount of siblings, and uh, mm -hmm. they definitely are very important in in my mental state. So I can I can just yeah I can just relate a lot, and and I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time and for all of your insights. Very excited for what's to come for Fomino and for you on a personal level, as always. Uh, but yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. Ah, uh, thanks, Sophie. It's always a pleasure talking with you. To our listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Bridget. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. You can learn more about Bridget on social media and her company's website. We'll put all the relevant links in the description of this episode. If you're looking for cool clothes that have a small environmental footprint, Fomino is definitely the place. To learn more about Le Studio, you know where to find us on our socials, LinkedIn and Instagram at lestudio.io everywhere and our website lestudio.io. Stay tuned for our next episode during which we'll be chatting with another amazing changemaker. Thank you for listening and see you next time.